Fake, fake, fakety, fake. Hello, and welcome to this special recording of the Imperial News Podcast. This is going to be released as a bonus episode, even though uh, it was intended to be an addition to our last episode, where we talked more about the Roe v. Wade decision in the United States. The overturning of Roe v. Wade, I should say. So I... Given that, uh, you know, this was happening in the United States, I decided to reach out to my friend Robin Schwartz, who's been on the podcast before, because she is an activist who's been involved in the uh, reproductive health movement in Canada and is pro-abortion. And we thought this this would be a great opportunity to just chat about what's going on, both in our country, but what happened in the United States. It turns out that we actually didn't touch a lot on abortion directly, but more about how we can construct movements on the left to help fight this growing rise of uh, right-wing fascism uh, in both our country and the United States. So, you know, we talk a little bit about politics, organizing, and uh, this upcoming election where uh, we both support the NDP. And uh, if that's not your thing, that's cool. I think there's still a lot to gain from this discussion. Uh, and, uh, yeah, and Robin's going to make a pitch for a, a program, a campaign, an uncampaign that she plans to do. So uh, I hope you enjoy it. We will return shortly to our regular schedule. We have uh, already recorded the next episode, so that should be released shortly after this gets released. And uh, we should be back on track. I had a wedding last weekend. Some things got delayed, but we should be good now. We should be on track. So I hope you enjoy this. And, uh We'll talk to you later. I guess uh, one final plug before I go. I will be recording this week with Eric Wickham from Big Shiny Takes. We're going to be releasing special bonus episodes on both the Big Shiny Takes and the Imperial News uh, Patreon accounts. So if you sign up for either of us, you'll have access to the episode that we're going to create. And the episode is, we're going to start a series where we just go over bad books. So the first book we're starting with is Shakedown by Ezra Levant. It's something that we talked about prior uh, in the show, if you go in our back catalog. I'm going to update it, we're going to do it, we're going to release it more as like a series, but each month we'll release a chapter, uh, or two chapters depending on how long they are, etc. And if you want access to that episode, you have to sign up to our Patreon, uh, or uh, Big Shiny Takes Patreon. And then we might, at the end of it, release the whole series publicly for everyone to consume. But if you want early access to us breaking down the book, we'll release an episode every month. Uh, so please, consider becoming a Patreon. We we appreciate it. So for us, it's patreon.com slash imperial news. And uh, with that out of the way, I hope you enjoy this uh, discussion with Robin. Hello, my rebels. Hello, my rebels. I'm a good boy. I'm a weirdo. I am here with my friend Robin Schwartz. She has been on the show before. Uh, the last time we had Robin on was back when the p- pandemic first started, and we had her on to talk about reproductive health care during the pandemic. And that was a very interesting convo. I recommend people go back and listen to that if you want to. But uh, things have obviously changed and moved on. And the reason why we have Robin back is because something happened in the United States recently. Uh, you, <laughs> you might have heard about you it already. Think, you may have. Uh, We're not sure. 
I mean, you would have heard about it in the first half of this program since Ezra brings it up, although he doesn't have a ton to say about it. He, he has the standard uh, talking points that the right wing has already uh, proliferated, that like that this is states' rights and and yeah. uh, Roe v. Raid was a weird decision. Yeah. It's about going back to the states. We got to go back to states' rights. Classic. Yeah. White supremacy, state rights. No, I was going to say, who else, who else has argued state, about right? this? Yeah. <laughs> about as well what hmm, hmm, are we heading into a u.s civil war stay tuned folks anyways thank yeah. you <laughs> but yes robin and i have been uh activists locally in london ontario for a while uh including uh activism in, in regards to uh abortion rights and access to uh reproductive health care in our city and also in this province and uh, i guess generally around the world because why not we all need it uh, <laughs> so I wanted to hear Robin's thoughts on what's happening and, uh, you know, get the, the Canadian perspective on it, because like, obviously uh, what's happening in America is extreme and big, and it's going to suck a lot of the air out of the room that, that, uh, and, and like rightfully so, like, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna say that it shouldn't, but like, uh, we also have our own, uh, local issues that we should, uh get uh get focused on so i guess robin if you want to just uh say hi to the audience and uh introduce yourself a little bit and then we could we could talk talk abortion yeah you know i you know there's nothing i love to talk about more um i've been joking for a long time that if antique donahue's podcast nobody cares still existed which had various ontario people including farah khan who is a hero of mine talking about how much she loves otters which is something we both have in common. Who doesn't love uh, otters, to be honest? Who, who doesn't? They're adorable. They love to hold hands. It's great. Um, but mine would be abortion. If you if you wanted to talk about some, like I could talk about abortion forever. I have so much to say around all the things you just said: local, provincial, national, global. Because I believe as someone who is a activist for human rights, like many of my sisters in the reproductive justice movement, that um, the access and right to choose when or when or how or if you have children and then also the ability to raise those same children in safe and healthy communities is the human rights violation and the where we should put all of our efforts for our lifetime because it is intersectional and it encompasses things like environmental racism. So like living next to a nuclear plant that's bleeding into your water. That's reproductive justice. Black Lives Matter. Young black boys being shot is a reproductive justice issue. All of these things are connected. And so when I learned about this uh, while I was doing a PhD at Western with you, we, were, we are both PhD dropouts from Western. Um, I, I, I learned about this theory in response to Trump getting elected and just all the things that were happening in our community, because as I just said, it's all connected. And so, um, that is actually a big, a big theme on our podcast, which, uh, yeah. we, we do hit on it occasionally, but we do like to reiterate to our audience that it is all connected. There is a reason why the right wing, uh, hits the stuff about reproductive health, uh, in line with their other misogynistic views, but then also hits the uh, anti-trans stuff. And, you know, it's all connected. It's all connected. Well, and you know that I often jokingly bully you because you are a man and I am a woman, and that is something funny for us to do since we're close friends and share a birthday. 
um, that I think that your work is important, but I think that mine is more important yeah. because I think <laughs> that abortion is the first and most important issue because I see it as the canary in the coal mine that then leads to Ezra. Like, like if we're doing chicken egg scenario and you and I have had this argument many times over beers and we have agreed to disagree, um, uh, we all know that what I do is more important. Than <laughs> Anyways, um, I think that, uh, that is, my my interview isn't that one is more important than the other. I, I think. I, oh, I'm aware. They're, they're all clear, they're my, all just yeah. symptoms of the general evil. rot. Yeah. <laughs> I want to give a shout out to my my partner John Luke, um, who would say, "Robin, stop it! This is a red flag. Everything <laughs> is important and connected." And I would say. Damn it, you're right. Um, so Jody puts up with me a lot, um, as as a lot of men in my life do, because uh, it's hard, as you know. I do a lot of really hard work in this area, and you make me feel very appreciated as well. And that's why I'm always happy to talk to you here. Um, and and so sort of to to go back to the U.S. Um, so when all this information broke out, um, one of my fr activist friends actually um, messaged me and said, hey, it's time, Rose falling. And I was like, wait, what? Because um, I was actually on leave from work dealing with some mental health stuff. For folks who don't know, I was diagnosed with ADHD last August. And I was also preparing for the writ to drop on May the 4th in Ontario because the other big thing that I do, um, my PhD at Western was on Ontario politics and single bums and, and social services and just like the Robarts and Davis years and the ways in which the government did or did not support uh, single families in this province. And as a result, this election means a lot to me. And so I have been working really hard behind the scenes to support Marjorie Knight, who is the MPP running in Cambridge, as well as all four other candidates in Waterloo Region, Laura May Lindo, Catherine Fife, Karen Meisner, and Joanne Weston, as well as Terrence Carnahan, who it, you know is a close friend of yours and friend of mine, who I helped elect alongside a team of folks in 2018. So this is a long time thing that is basically for me, it's all connected, but the two things that I spend my time and effort on are abortion access and, and reproductive justice. And then uh, the Ontario NDP right now, which I, I've been very clear with folks in my life that after June 2nd, I'm gonna be taking a step back from that work because I have worked my ass off for four years, as you know, and I, I don't have a lot of energy left. This is the end. I'm, a, I'm an Olympian who's ready to retire for a little bit, step back, maybe then come out of retirement, you know, just yeah. like, I need, I need that. I need to the Olympian send off and I need to tell my friends that and have that be okay. And, and kind of pass the torch to the people who are going to do this election and then they can fight and I can take a little step back. Cause that's what reproductive justice tells us. Loretta Ross talks about the goose organizing model. And I think we talked about that on, on either a stream or a podcast at some point for your show, basically the idea that one goose flies, forward and then when that goose gets tired they go further back i i have been the front goose in this movement in london for a long time i've been supporting people as much as i can behind the scenes i try not to take as much like i'm really mouthy so sometimes i yell about things <laughs> but there's an awful lot of stuff that i do that i don't talk about publicly and so it's been kind of uh my hyper focus as an adhd year for the last four years is is trying to elect uh, Andrea Horvath in, in 2022, not because I actually like Andrea, 
Um, I have many, many questions and concerns, and that's a whole other show that you and I could have well, after yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean... But, but basically, all of this stuff happened at the same time. That was a long way of saying everything last week happened together. I am exhausted, and I've been doing media all week since, so um, I just want to put this in the podcast to shout out another local podcast, Craig Needle's podcast, um, The Craig Needle Show. I'm on episode 57 last week. Craig is also someone like Jody who gave me a chance to to kind of learn these media skills when I was just a PhD student trying to stop an anti-abortion club, which we'll get into in a second. And so uh, I think that just so that folks are aware as a historian and as someone who studies social movements, I'm very aware of the ways that primary sources work and the ways that narratives are constructed. And so um, I encourage you to look me up on Twitter. I'm at Robin SCH. That was just what was available in 2011 or whenever I joined and look at all the interviews I've been doing. Um, I have a page on informed opinions that I basically make sure that I keep them all there because every single one I'm saying different things, but they're all related. And the the related message um, before we get into kind of our Western work and, and some more context for folks is reproductive justice and the idea that we are in this very dangerous time where me as a historian is seeing all these signs of fascism around me, the stuff that I studied, and I was working alongside a very good friend um, with me at Western, Elliot, Dr. Elliot Worsfold, who was writing about that stuff in Kitchener-Waterloo in the same time period as me. And we were essentially seeing this stuff coming out of our students at us because we were both Canadian history TAs at similar times for the same prof. And so we started to organize together. He would support me with this stuff. I would do my best to support him. He was helping Terrence. And so... Yeah, um, basically, and you are a part of that collective too, um, people like Madeline Vrolk and, and Karina Gabriel. And so there's just been kind of a small group of us in London who have been trying to stop fascism because as uh, we'll get into in a second, London is ground zero for these issues. Um, and you know this because of how stuff that you were doing with Mark Emery and, and those things, right? Like, like it's all related, they all know each other and yeah. even if it's not open that they know each other they're sharing money from the same people coming up through the u.s and so um folks please know that this is not a standalone episode basically yeah. ta robbins here <laughs> well, I mean, telling I, you this this if anything it is, is the theme it of it's the theme of our whole podcast right i mean like i i mean getting into the history of like uh how getting involved in these movements like i saw it coming too and that's partly why like i started this podcast but i am curious like since yeah. you uh, since you already brought it up i wanted to hit on uh, just in terms of the the ndp because we we do have uh, i know some people who listen to us who are liberal supporters and i don't want to shame you completely so uh take this as i actually don't want to shame <laughs> them at all i first i'm just gonna put this out here folks i'm more self-deprecating and i and i humor it but I, yeah yeah but i just want to say um part of why i'm so good at this work is i was a liberal woman and a lot of us woke up when Hillary Clinton lost to the harm that we were causing in our own movements because we saw how our leaders who were 10 to 20 years older than us didn't actually get the same message from that loss as us. I got the message that white women don't listen and need to listen more. Others got the message that Hillary Clinton should have won and Bernie Sanders is mean. And so I am I am riding this weird line where I am a female Bernie bro who also respects Hillary Clinton because I'm a women's historian. And so 
of all the people to listen to on this, it is me. Hello. And and my expertise, I'll just put that out there for folks, is the reason I moved to London, Ontario in the fall of 2012, because Western offered me a full ride scholarship to do my master's in Canadian American relations. And so I have an MA in this shit. I did a whole year. It's all I studied was social, cultural, economic, everything you name it the relationship between the two countries i did a deep dive i wrote a thesis on expo 67 and the u.s pavilion and johnson and nixon and all of these things together and then i went off and did a canadian history phd and canadian history comps and cold war america comps so these issues are literally the intersection of all of my expertises which is why i sound a little crazy and exhausted because <laughs> i moved here 10 years ago to try and just teach adults this stuff that's why i left my home community of Kelowna, bc i just just wanted a job teaching in the post-secondary er sector and that wasn't available to me in my town with what i was seeing and the archives happened to be in ontario for canada i don't know if you know this they're in ottawa everyone so i thought it would be cheaper to live here and do my degree than live in bc and be constantly flying back and forth anytime i needed to do research so yeah, I, I'm literally here because these are my things I care about, post-war Canada and, and the different ways that our country continues to fail me. Yeah. Uh, and, <laughs> and fail everyone, really, are, yeah. Well, the, the lies that are Canadian exceptionalism, like that's the thread through my work, whether it's me talking about Nixon and Trudeau and the ways that Trudeau was an asshole to Nixon, or whether it's my PhD thesis on the ways that Trudeau was an asshole to single moms. Uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau being an asshole is basically uh, something that women like me have been calling out since the 1970 abortion caravan, which we can talk about in a second, too, because, you know, I'm still friends with those women and, in fact, actually uh, have been talking with folks like Judy Rabick and Don um, Hemingway this week uh, and Kathy Walker. So so the the mothers of our movement, the women who are the reason that you have abortion and why this isn't the same debate in Canada those people are my friends and I'm very honored and, and thankful that they have the time and, and kindness to mentor someone like me because I can be a little lot. I'm, I'm a little mouthy and uh, like Judy Rabbit, I have been, I get asked to maybe sit this one out sometimes when it's with the nice people we have to be kind to. So um, yeah, happy to be here and, and work together. Well, like part of like uh, in terms of like, the Horvath question, and also like as you mentioned with uh, Hillary Clinton and all this, is like I, I find our podcasts like straddles this like interesting balance where we have like obviously uh, with the growing far right in Canada, there are liberal supporters who just like us uh, on the left see this threat and are worried about it. I guess like part of like. <laughs> The other half of our show is not only to obviously uncover what the right is doing, but to, to sort of like advocate for a type of like organizing and activism that like is the way that we're going to combat this thing. And like I worry even with people on the left, uh, like you talk a bit about like Bernie Bros and stuff and like, you know, I'm obviously in that camp too to some respects, but there's like there's just an attitude, I think, where. Uh, like a frustrated nihilism of people not wanting to participate and drop out. And so it's like, my position has always been like, it's obvious to vote NDP just in terms of harm reduction, but yeah. that the organizing stuff happens like outside, not necessarily within the electoral 
framework, but through, say, like, mobilizing people and getting them involved in some of the more, like, activisty stuff that you and I have been involved with, like the abortion caravan as a historical uh, reference. Yeah, yeah. So, folks, I, I, I remember I dropped this in your podcast last time, too, but um, I did a really cool project with these women in March, uh, March, not March, <laughs> May 2022, literally two years ago, I was stuck in my tiny apartment. Thank goodness I no longer live there because, wow, I was going crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Only eating donuts. Literally, that's all I ate that month, basically, because... I was working 18 hours a day on a commemorative project for the 1970 abortion caravan, uh, supported by my work and boss, Alicia Langell at Shore Center. Shout out to Alicia for life. She is uh, just such a supportive, lovely human. And she was our interim executive director at the time. And she was doing a bunch of work to help me. Um, and Jamie Nicolau, who is a PhD candidate at U of T. We co-edited this alongside all of the members of the movement across Canada. So if you read the first piece, um, it's, it's 10 digital papers that basically call on the movement to do various things for the next 50 years. So it is an active public history project in that we tell the story of what happened in the 1970 abortion caravan, but also then have calls to action for various things. So for example, there is actually a piece in there called Countering Opponents, in which I outline what all of us should be doing to stop the anti-abortion movement today. And since I edited the project, I was the one who had the final say on what, what went into that piece because I happen to be the leading expert on countering these folks because of what I learned at Western with you. So that project is digital. It's on the Action Canada website. If you Google 1970 abortion caravan commemoration, it will come up or 2020 abortion caravan project. Um, so I was doing that alone in my apartment for six months during the first part of the pandemic. I didn't get to have fun. I didn't get to like, you know, I bake all the time now. I wasn't doing that during the first wave. I was busy telling the story of our movement alone and like pushing people to do stuff while we were all in crisis. And so that was... Uh, that's part of why I'm also kind of where I'm at, where I've been pushing for these years, um, like I said, to to just like keep the movement together and tell this story because I see us at a really critical moment in Canadian history as a historian where we've just seen a similar protest to the Winnipeg general strike after a, a long sustained crisis in which our all of our leaders have failed us. What does that sound like? World War One. But the protest was led by the other side this time. And that's horrifying to me because that tells me that we're in Nazi Germany territory, not Canada. And like, like in terms of where the next fascist state is going to come out of, uh, like we know the U.S. is already this and was when they elected Donald Trump. But in terms of like choices with like, like Hitler is elected in the 1920s first, right? Like, like, like there's a lot of choices that are made from the 20s to 1939 where uh, people like Justin Trudeau, like Christopher Freeland, like Chamberlain, like Churchill, like all these leaders make decisions that center whiteness and center protectionism and center their interests and the interests of the liberal elite across the world rather than centering the interests of the working class. But what has happened and what is different and why I am so scared right now and why podcast projects like yours exist is that the internet has unleashed this Pandora's box in which someone like Ezra Levant can exist. And as you know, I hope to tell the story of how that happens in my unfinished PhD, 
which will be coming out in the next three to five years if I ever get this done because it's a very big project. But it's something, it's a story I know I can only tell at this point because of my lived experience having been born in 1989, right after the Morgenthaler movement ended. Because from 1970 to 1988, mostly women, all different women, poor women, uh, immigrant women, indigenous women, women of color, but lots of people who were erased from this narrative organized across Canada to build a movement that made this country pro-choice forever and overturned the unfair abortion law in 19 that had been enacted by Pierre Elliott Trudeau as a way of protecting doctors and the government, not the people, in 1969, the omnibus bill. And so as a result, my sisters, starting with the abortion care event in 1970, who were inspired by the student movement in the U.S., Martin Luther King Jr., and the women's movement, all of these things that were happening in the 1960s in the U.S., got in their vans together and drove across Canada for a week and shut down Parliament for the first and only time in Canadian history to demand free abortion on, uh, to demand free abortion on demand. And then 18 years later, when after the charter is passed and after they've done significant door knocking and organizing work every single friggin' year for 18 years, they managed to challenge the law and overturn it in 1988 because it's the right thing to do. And at that point, unlike the US where they go for the law first in 1973 and then those same women see the mistakes. Like again, Canada and the US, as, we, as I learned in my masters, are a mirror of each other. That's a theory that you learn in Canadian American relations when you're trying to understand the differences in cultures. It's not exactly the same. When you look at yourself in the mirror, it is not you, right? It is a mirror but it is very similar. That is how I personally understand the Canadian cultural history in relation to the US, where our, our histories are so close, but they are slightly different. And that's why it is so hard for the Canadian media without this information and having defunded our public school system and history in English, which again, hi, what do I have? I was told in 2008, don't do a Bachelor's of Arts. Well, this Bachelor of Arts is what's going to help us stop fascism all. So hi, Go fuck yourself if you told me to not do that. And you're wrong and stop defunding history because defunding history is what is causing fascism to come back. I should I should add to that because like I, I get frustrated with the line of like don't get a bachelor's of art or like or people be like, why are you throwing your money at this education? And like for me it's like this is why education should well, I mean, education should be free generally, but like one of the reasons is because like we want an educated society. Just to have an well, educated society I, is a good in itself, you know. And so like, use me yeah, as the a case study. Use me as a case study, Jody. So I paid for my undergrad. I lived with my parents. I was able to get my degree in my hometown because UBC opened a satellite campus there two years before I graduated high school. I paid for that degree myself because tuition was still low enough that I could work 50 hours a week all summer with undiagnosed ADHD as a lifeguard in Kelowna, where they pay lifeguards well because a lot of people drown. And so if you don't pay lifeguards well, there will be more drownings. We learned that through history. My grandma was one of the people who was the first lifeguards to do those sorts of things and advocate for like better swimming lessons, the Kelowna across the lake swim. Like it's a, it's a community history thing. That connection to my lake is what allowed me to become a first aid instructor, to get the money I needed, to be able to go to Scotland, to do all the connections and things I needed to do so that then 
in 2012, when I was applying for my master's, I got a $18,000 scholarship from Western, which also included travel money. And that's what allowed me to move to London, Ontario in 2012, because the cost of living at that time was low enough. And I was in a relationship that I could afford to do school for free. And I have not paid for school since because I'm a really good grant writer. And I took a year off between my master's and my PhD and worked full time for TD Bank and was yelled at that entire year and used all that money and poured it back into conferences and back into research because I don't have fucking parents to go live with when my, things get hard. My parents are in BC and they have no idea how to become an academic. And then from there, I got a Shirk scholarship because I'm actually pretty smart when you like give me the tools I need. And I beat out the dude in my department who was ranked above me by my department because of classism, because he's friends with the best Canadian historian in Canada who, and by that I mean not the best, but the most important dude who's friends with like Pierre Elliott Trudeau and wrote shit on him. He went to study with Francine McKenzie, who at the time was very, used to be the department chair and she, he was her favorite little student, so he was one and I was two. But as you know, after those applications leave the university, they go to Ottawa and they get re-ranked by people. And even though my application was not very good, in honesty, I didn't end up doing that project. It was on X-67. I went through comps and realized all of the shit I was doing was a lie and white supremacist because of the supervisor I was working with being inadequate. Uh, but in Ottawa, I got ranked above him. And so that year, I was the only one in the department who got a $105,000 scholarship. But here's the thing, I didn't actually get that scholarship right away. They gave me $80,000 first. I was waitlisted for the $105,000 one, and I didn't find out for six months. And all of this is to say, you can come from a poor, my dad grew up poor and then went into IT. And that's why I grew up middle class. And I have moved across the country and this is what, and, and again, I am from Stockwell Day country, guys. Like you're listening to this. If you are a political nerd in Canada, you know who Stockwell Day is. Ezra Levant, I guarantee has vacation in Kelowna, BC. It is I'm, such I'm, an un- He worked on Stockwell Day's uh, campaign when he was running to be prime minister. Yeah. So, so, you know, the, the Ski-Doo thing, yeah. that was my lake. Well, I'm the pretty- lake that- I'm pretty sure the Skidoo thing might have been an Ezra idea. I don't know that for a fact, but that was the campaign where Ezra was his communications Honestly, uh, person. Sorry, as a historian, Jody, I'm going to tell you as a historian of the 90s, even if we can't prove it, I think that we can deduce based yeah. on what we know about Ezra that it was. So as an expert putting on my PhD ABD beside my name, put this across the screen here. Uh, historian Robin Schwartz says that it is highly likely that... Um, Ezra Levant was the reason that Stockwell Day did that based on what we know about both of them and their relationships and also Kelowna, where she grew up and could probably find out this information just by talking to someone. And so, for anyone who's younger um, than us, just Google Stockwell Day Skidoo and this like it was like a famous photo op that he did that like blew up back in the day. My boss was on the radio recently here for mental health in Kitchener for the Ted Lasso stuff that I was doing that you saw. For folks who Google Family Counseling Center and Ted Lasso, if you want to see some delightful videos that are produced by me, um, that are not great, but are delightful. Um, and he, we literally were talking about the mental health crisis in this province. And I'd given Cameron all these talking points about like why mental health is underfunded, why this is a problem. And then Cameron made 
said something about Stockwell Day at a debate where he held up a sign about two-tier healthcare or something, which was also probably an Ezra move. And that is all that the radio host got from that interview because he was like, oh yeah, the ski do thing. Like yeah. that's how much <laughs> people who are like 30, 40, 50 somethings remember Stockwell Day. I don't even remember this happening as a kid. To be clear, my family is very apolitical because everyone in Kelowna is like Stockwell Day, so they don't have time for that. And they want to be left alone, which is why I was always the black sheep who was like, but I love politics and why I moved here because there's no NDP in Kelowna. If you're in the NDP, you get shot, probably. Unclear, but that would not surprise me. Um, it's not a to be neurodivergent and queer at all we could probably i got i got one more thing to say that we could probably move on yeah, yeah. to like what should, uh yes. what we could do but I, I was just like you know what it reminds and like why i think ezra is where he is and how he gets there is like he reminds me of like the kind of like e-celebrities or internet celebrities of today yeah. where it's like i feel like he got a, a taste of like viral fame in like certain of the various projects that he's done and then he keeps like chasing that high which is why he's always doing things where uh i mean at frequent listeners listeners of the show know like he constantly puts his like quote-unquote reporters in harm's way so that yeah. they have that story to then run and monetize off of you know and so it's like he's well, just constantly searching for those moments for sure. And connecting that to my work. So like my version of Ezra Rovant, for folks who don't know, the two people that I follow very similar to Jody, but I just don't have time to do a podcast because uh, <laughs> I'm day, the primary breadwinner. It's because I'm the primary breadwinner in my family. Shout out to Rachel. Uh, I don't know how much <laughs> folks know about Rachel, but Jody's partner is a saint. Um, and she's she is best, lovely. So she's awesome. And can she's can confirm. <laughs> Uh, she's raising those children as Jody and I joked earlier today before this that we were both being stay-at-home dads because uh, I'm not having a great time right now, so I'm off work just for some mental health stuff. Um, and that's okay. That's the cost of this work, folks. Like, again, neurodivergent. Like, it's really hard. And, and I want to just say, like, as a couple more things before we move into what you can do. But, like, to be clear, like, my health is not great and it's because I've been people like Jody and I have been kind of doing this alone for the last couple of years and we really need you to hear us and like hear what I'm saying today in a practical way where like being on Twitter is not action it is literally just like mouthing off which is like what I learned through the if you track me and go through my Twitter like I I stopped just doing that because I realized that that was not actually just the only productive way of doing this and so I use Twitter very carefully now. Um, so, for example, last week I was tweeting about Christian Freeland, our finance minister, and Justin Trudeau, who were, like, saying, we are pro-choice in response to Roe v. Wade. And I personally feel that that's very harmful be in that it's the same as saying I'm not racist. Like, it's not actually doing anything. You're literally just saying nothing. Like, like you're literally... That was when, when like Justin... Nothing. I complained about that when Justin Trudeau came to London after uh, oh my God, that, that so person murdered the, the Muslim yes. family in town. And all Justin Trudeau flies yes. in, lands, and then he, his speech what? was basically, racism is bad. And then it's like, okay, so what are you going to do about it? Like, and then there's well, nothing and there. And that's sort of, 
like, we're going to go into a second what you can do. Like, part of why I support Terrence Kernahan so fiercely is not because I'm an ONDP partisan. Like, if you look at my Twitter right now, you're going to be like, oh, my God, who is this person? Yeah. <laughs> and the answer is, for harm reduction, I really need us to get more NDPers in. Even if we don't win, the more people we get in there is fewer seats for them, and eventually we will turn, and then eventually we will go for electoral reform because that's the goal. It's similar to 1937 when William Lyon Mackenzie in this province was calling for responsible government and then they got the act of union in 1850 these things all go in a cycle and this message is brought to you by history ta robin <laughs> who wishes she still had her job at western and would in a better world where neoliberalism didn't exist um but i will finish my phd eventually and then i will smite all of my enemies uh, not actually, as as you do <laughs> with love smite yeah. with love lemons that's my slogan lemons to lemonade reproductive justice my mentor and friend, Loretta Ross, well, I hope she's my friend, one day, oh my gosh, did I just call her that? I, I, Loretta Ross, queen of reproductive justice, who's, I go actually, if folks are, are looking for something to do this summer, um, she's running her course again, uh, calling in the call-out culture. Jody, you will be taking it, like, you don't know this yet, but uh, <laughs> that's on my to-do list to invite you to take this course. I actually would love it if your community did it with us. Anyone can sign up. It's $20 for the course. And if folks can't afford it, um, I would be happy if you DM me to match you with someone who can pay you for that. So um, I am more than happy to. Um... Yeah, I watched I watched her uh, talks that she gave as well. So like, uh, yeah, I, I stand Loretta, but like. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so she's doing a new theory. Like, like I talk about reproductive justice. She created that with a bunch of people in the 90s and she won't take credit for it herself because like me. We all know that ideas are fluid and that they're actually about the community, not about one person. But she's the one who gets cited by the Western liberal media as crediting for reproductive justice, even though it was a communal effort between all women of color in this movement. But whatever, um, we can't like our, our Western white supremacist mind can't help us understand history that way. But we're going to get there, I promise. Um, but she's her new theory is is about how we call in the call out culture and and stop the toxicity within the left in particular because she sees that as what's causing more white supremacy like as relevant and like and this is my kind of final thought here in this sentence again all these things are connected and so you and this podcast follow the rebel as relevant and i think that's good but I personally feel in the, that the folks who are like creating the narratives that are then feeding Ezra because they are evangelical extremists, i.e. they are members of the anti-choice movement who are trying to bring these ideas to Canada and then Ezra is seeing them and making those viral moments. But the if I as an intellectual historian and someone who's like tracing where ideas come from, I would say that um, the far-right extremism we are currently seeing is being funneled through the anti-choice movement and through two specific people in Canada, Alyssa Golob, who co-founded Right Now in 2015, and Jonathan Van Maren, who is the communications director for the Canadian Centre for Bathical Reform. Both of whom, Jonathan Van Maren has a house outside of London, and that's why London was ground zero for this stuff last year. And let's talk about that in a second in Katie Dean and the viewer discretion uh, legislation coalition and just London as an example of like how to get involved um, and the types of things that you and I both see as goals for us in terms of going back to that 1970s style organizing that we know works because we have proof. We have evidence. Historian Robin says, here's examples of things you can do. Just copy them. Thank you. Learn about them and then organize. 
it's agitate, educate, organize, agitate. That is the basic of socialism, right? So we're back on educate, folks. And then we need to help other people learn skills. That's the organizing. Saying, well, this person's doing it this way and I don't like that and then quitting is actually really selfish and very privileged. I don't have the privilege to quit this work and that's why my mental health is struggling and I need the rest of you to pick up the slack a little bit. And that's the honest, real talk from Robin. And Loretta would say the same thing in her circles. Like, that's why I love those spaces. I've been going to her. She has monthly meetings right now for activists like me to talk through some of these hard conversations we're having with other white women in particular, because um, I've been watching a lot of documentaries. Um, Hot Docs was just over the weekend. And the theme of what I picked this year um, whether it was still nine to five or deconstructing Karen or this other mo one that I watched on um, the union organizing at Disneyland in California. The theme of what I've been reading is essentially the failure of white feminist leaders, so middle and upper class women, as emblemized by Hillary Clinton and her choices to be in solidarity with working class, poor, racialized women forever. Like that that is what went wrong in the US movement. And I can tell you that in Canada, that's not the case, but that Alyssa Golub and Jonathan Van Maren want you to believe that it was. They want you be to believe that Canada is like the US and they want you to believe that Canadians are like Americans and don't like abortion. And that's not true because Canadian women did a lot of work to make sure that didn't happen and we should all thank them. But that means that we all, and, and I don't just mean women, like this was trans people, this was men, like that's a thing. Morgenthaler gets the credit because he was critical. Like Henry Morgenthaler is a Holocaust survivor. I encourage folks to listen to the Canada Land episode that came out yesterday. I was supporting um, a little bit with that in terms of feeding them information that I needed them to get out there because my goal is not credit. I do not want to be a journalist. I have had to become one and publish things as a journalist because as a historian working at Western alongside my friend and organizing partner, Elliot Orsfold and people like you, we were working to oppose Jonathan Van Maren who like me has a bachelor of arts in history and like me uh, got his bachelor's of arts from a small school in BC. He got his from Simon Fraser and I got mine from UBCO and it was within, I believe, five or 10 years of each other. So we're about the same age. We're both in our thirties or he might be in his early forties now, but we're the same millennial generation. And well, I was, and you and I were busy trying to make our way in the world through the great recession, through all of the crap that us millennials have been thrust upon us, 9-11, all of the stuff in the 90s, racism, uh, Britney Spears, like let's just like think through all the hell of the last 30 years since the Cold War ended. And the US basically has been this terrible evangelical state that it always was, but is rising even more. Jonathan Van Maren has been co-opting historical narratives. And so the stuff that Ezra says about, say, for example, I guarantee I, I don't listen to the rebel. That's your job. You know that. <laughs> and I appreciate that. Um, and so I, but I guarantee you, he's probably said stuff about trans kids and how trans kids are being misled. Well, Jonathan yep. Maron was one of the first people in Canada to write those things on his blog, The Bridgehead. He also has a podcast. He also has this. He's connected with the far right white supremacists in Poland who have been restricting abortion access there. All of these people know each other. They go to the same conferences. 
Um, he's been speaking at Doctors for Life in Canada for years, which is a fully funded conference for any physician who is in training in Canada to go and get access to anti-choice propaganda that they're not going to get inside um, their medical classrooms because of the stuff that Henry Morgenthaler did. But again, that's where those medical schools are Hillary Clintoning because they haven't stopped that. They haven't said, if you go to this conference, you lose your medical license. And that should have happened 30 years ago after 1988. This is not, this is a human rights violation. This is not about whether or not you are um, in favor of abortion. As I say on every single podcast I've been on this week, abortion is a very personal issue, as is all pregnancy laws. And it is not my place to tell you how to feel about it, because until you are in that position, you have no idea how you will feel, myself included. Um going back to the stuff we were talking about with the 1970 abortion caravan the last piece of that 10 piece project is my abortion story destigmatizing abortion care that is about me i talk about my abortion in scotland and the fact that i was alone and that's why then when i end up at western and i'm seeing western lifeline harassing students which i think here we go is our transition wow look at me <laughs> um when we start to look at how we can do those things and you and I really learn from trial and error because we made a lot of mistakes, right? Um, when we when we start to work together and, and find people who are like-minded, who are not going to choose themselves and their egos and their careers over our community, those are the people that I've been looking for for the last, um, since 2017, when I started to do this at the first London Women's March with Elliot. And Elliot Worsfold and I are very good because of our history perspective at finding the right people um, to organize alongside. And I think that's part of why we become friends um, and why the Ontario NDP and London North Centre is really a model for the rest of the province in terms of the types of stuff that we should be doing because we are not partisan for the party. Sarah Rands would be the first to tell yeah. you everything she hates about the party. Would you like to hear it? It goes on for four hours and you and I have both heard it. So like she is very by the rules because she's a retired teacher and EPFO organizer who is friends with these same women who did the stuff in, in um, the 1980s. Like our leaders and the people I listen to are the matriarchs who left feminist organizing in the 90s and 2000s as it became more um, bureaucratized. And that's something that Nora Leto talks about in her book, Take Back the Fight. And it's like, that's a vital reading as well to kind of understand why we went from Henry Morgenthaler and the best socialist movement in the Western world in terms of feminism to now where we have like the saddest, like it's me alone in my bedroom right now. Not actually, but just yeah. like <laughs> some days it feels that way. And I don't want it to be like that. So that's why we're here. Um, so I'm, yeah, let's get into some some questions about what we do. How do we do this? How do well, we fix I, I this mean, shit? like part of it is like uh, we've already covered, which is just the learn. Like for one, get involved, and like two, when you get involved, like try to not like take the reins. You know, there, learn how to like work with others without trying to do the the sort of like needing the credit for things. I mean like here's the thing is like there there is some aspect in which like some credit is nice but but like only in the sense that like when your colleagues turn to you and thank you for doing the work, you know? But like it's nice when you have and so be that person who thanks other people for their work. But the problem is like you shouldn't get involved in this thing. And I feel like part of 
part of it is, and uh, I'm not saying anything novel here, but like we we are a generation that like grew up on social media that like centers yourself as like the sort of like lead in the story. And it's like we just need to learn to let go of that baggage and just trust the to somewhat trust in some of the organizations that are that are going, you know, to be clear, like, that's actually something, like, that I would thank Elliot for, because um, I, like, sometimes got into that when things were really hard at Western, and he would talk to me and be like, yo, like, you need to, like, let this go with this one person, because it's not about you. And I would be like, but I'm so upset that the Gazette, like, published the thing and didn't <laughs> listen to me. And he would be like, dude, like, are you, is it, is it this battle or is it the war you want to win? And I would be like, okay, fine. (laughs) And that was like, genuinely, he did that for three years where I would be off because I have ADHD and I didn't know that at the time. So my impulsivity would get terrible when like, because again, I was that student in Glasgow who was alone, who was navigating stuff. And I was working alongside two wonderful undergraduate organizers, Karina Gabriel and Madeline Vogue, who Madeline, as you know, is now working for Terence, which is really important. And and I'm really proud of her because I saw that in her. And But also, just for folks in terms of understanding, I've always seen that as a reciprocal relationship. So, like, I was the PhD student, but I treat everyone as though, like, they have just as much to offer me. And I don't make assumptions when things get hard or there's disagreements that it's something that's wrong with the person because I go back to that Loretta Ross framework. Like, if we agree on 90% of everything, that's what Loretta says. There are people in your life who will agree on 90% of everything. There is no way you will ever agree with anyone 100% on anything. And I can say that with you and I in our friendship. Like, we're very close, but there are things that we hardcore disagree on. And we've had those arguments together, but in really kind, respectful ways where I didn't leave being like, wow, Jody's really mean and just, like, doesn't care what I have to th- say. It was, no, well, like... I agree to disagree and I apologize to you if I said something stupid, right? Like, cause that's how all of us say stupid things all the time. And for some reason, millennials and Gen Z have decided that, and it's very similar, like again, hi, historian of the sixties and seventies, would you like to hear the parallels between our generation and the greatest generation? Because the stuff that's happening right now is very similar to what was happening with like the parents of the boomers, right? Like the boomers are Gen Z. We are the parents who have lived through the first world war and the second and this and all this other crap, the great depression, the this thing, like everyone's like the war is over, things are great. And it's 1921 and we all know what happens next, right? Like, like that's what I keep joking with people. And so, and I think what's next is climate change regardless or war with Ukraine. Like, like we're entering this new phase of global politics, which Again, I can say this because this is what I studied before I went into feminism. I was not a feminist prior to Trump's election. I didn't identify this way. And I voted for Justin Trudeau in 2015 because I thought that I was voting for electoral reform, having grown up in Kelowna and joking since a young age that it was basically throwing my vote into a dumpster fire as the Conservative Party of Canada and Stockwell Day would win with 80% of the vote. And I need folks to understand those are writings that are not savable at this time. Like things have to change there a lot before that will be winnable, which is why sometimes it's very frustrating and, and getting back to the Ontario election to hear a lot of the criticisms of the central party and staff, which 
half of which are fair, and the other half are armchair activism, where you literally haven't been into an office, and I know we'll say, well, I'm busy, or I'm this, or I'm that, but I need you to understand, like, and listen to that episode of Craig Needles and think about all the stuff that I've done, having moved three times in the last several years through this, done this, done that, dropped out of a PhD, not had enough money, had debt, had these things. Like, I'm privileged, and I, I want to say that, like, I'm, like we said, very lucky that I've had a lot of free education, and I am very thankful that... Uh, I worked really hard to get to a place and had the support from my family as a middle class person to do that. So I'm not, I, and that's part of why my students love me now because uh, all the students I was teaching first year political science to at King's in 2018 before I started at Shore and got my job in the nonprofit sector being paid to do something related to this at all, uh, which again, to be clear, my paid job does pays for my bills. But my life is intersectionally related, i.e. right now I get paid to write grants for mental health and do communications for mental health. Tomorrow and Thursday, I need to finish a letter, uh, a newsletter that I need to send out and, and finish some stuff so I can go on leave for a little bit to, to deal with this mental health issue. But all that to say, there were many times when I got frustrated with friends of mine, including you, and at all those times in the last four years, I could have quit. And I almost actually did after B-San and Zuby's election. If folks were following that online and Mike Morris and just the misogyny that was being thrown at us in 2021, uh, for folks who don't remember, B-San was the only Palestinian candidate running in Canada last time. And Raj Saini, who is a liberal MP, dropped out due to sexual harassment claims in his office. And we got very little support from the Central Party because that riding wasn't winnable because Mike Morris, who is basically an NDPer who was taken by the Greens, if we're doing like the similar agreements, like again, this is where I think all these arguments are stupid and we actually just need to focus on organizing together rather than arguing about what path to take anymore because we can have that meeting, but then we need to make a plan and stick to it instead of having someone off over here then starting their own podcast because that seems to be what happens folks decide they're <laughs> running because i'm the only one who can do this but they haven't talked to anyone else and they haven't shown up and they've been there three times uh but they think that they volunteered and elected terence kernahan and i'm sorry robin schwartz who volunteered 12 hours a day in 2018 is the one who elected him not the person who showed up three times but robin doesn't want credit for that she just wants you to fucking come so she doesn't have to do 12 hour <laughs> days she would like yeah. to do three that's like all i want is support and care and kindness safe and healthy communities where like it's reproductive justice hi would you like to know what i want we have a manifesto it's literally on the sister song website i am a paying member of sister song as a disabled woman who organizes in canada and that is what I would like. Everything they say on that website, all the black women are correct. And that is what I want for all of us. Yeah. And how we get there is different. But but looking at what's been happening in the US and kind of the mistakes that I've seen happen over the tw last 20 years, it's the same thing. It's lots of individuals, Hillary Clinton saying, I'm the only one who can do this. When actually we need to be listening to people like Renee Brace. Renee Bracy Sherman and Robin Marty, who are both abortion rights leaders who are like me, who are abortion doulas, who part of it is activism, but they are speaking out because they are also, like me, paying for people's passports off the side of their 
poor, like their salary, because they happen to have more than someone living in poverty. That's who we need to listen to, not the people who have the most time to start a new podcast. And I say that jokingly. I know for you it's different, but I, I see a lot of the left right now it, it becoming historians because they've discovered the last 50 years. <laughs> and most of them are political science students. So if you are in poli-sci right now, I want you to reconsider your degree because I think your degree is actually the problem. And this goes back to hashtag history course union president Robin at UBC Okanagan, who challenged the poli-sci course union to a laser tag match and won that match. No. <laughs> <laughs> so but, but, I mean, we, we've been pretty like anti-poli-sci on this channel as well. I, I mean, like the people who come out of there, like... Uh, it's not a science in the strict sense of the word. These people think that they come out of this thing like they're experts and then go working for campaigns and stuff like this, which is like, fine, we need people working for campaigns. It's just like, you it's need more than just, out. yeah. You need like it, the experience of things first, uh, which, which if uh, anything, I've learned a lot from campaigning, but it's mostly like being there rather than like, I didn't need a degree for that necessarily, you know? I think that both are important and i think that as you know the problem is when we privilege one form of expertise over the other which is why like i really see myself and hope to be the people's historian people can can tell me that's not true um but that's what elliot taught me and and really helped me inspire me after um just some really terrible stuff that happened to me during my comps exams where, yeah, I was with this borderline white supremacist conservative prof, Stephen Harper's favorite historian, Jonathan Vance, who was hired to do a bunch of stuff. Like, he's still the one that they call for Remembrance Day. He's the rem He is the white, the person who created the narratives around Remembrance Day that all of your listeners will hate. That's his area of expertise as a historian. But because he won the best book in Canadian history for his work on this in 1995, and that book is good, to be clear, it's important in terms of understanding how this stuff happened. But again, it's it's a white interpretation. I was working with him and he couldn't handle the types of postcolonial questions I was asking. And I didn't know what to do because I didn't have the support around me to do that. And so Elliot was really the one who was like talking me through this. And, and helping me kind of understand the ways that the history degrees that I had been given were limited in scope in terms of like privileging liberal narratives of Canada's past and, and helping me bridge that gap in my knowledge. And I can never thank him enough for doing that because there was a lot of really hard conversations around classism, racism, and just like feminism as white feminism versus feminism as action. And I've done a lot of work personally since then that, you know, in terms of like my own activism to build off of that kind of foundational research that is stuff I should have gotten from my degree, but didn't, which goes back to why I'm so passionate about this stuff, because I saw in my own classroom how young men were being radicalized by those profs. And you did as well. Like these are things we watched happening in front of us as those profs made excuses for citations by um, the Fraser Institute and saying that that's a legitimate source. It's, it's always, not. It's always amazing to me how many times it's come up on both our podcast and stream that like these right-wing figures have some connection to the University of Western uh, Ontario. <laughs> they all do. Yeah. And so, and that's like, because Jonathan Van Maren was literally doing talks in the basement because Western would give them free rooms because it's, of course, free speech on campus, right? And you know that 
but that's why I was so upset. Like we met around the Lindsay Shepard stuff. Like around that time is when we started talking because you were doing very similar work in terms of like, we were all pissed at Laurier and how essentially the role of the TA was completely screwed and like skewered by that story in the National Post and the ways that she was able to essentially co-opt that narrative herself and Ezra and the alt-right, but that we had been waiting for something like that to happen because we both know that the role of the TA is really supporting students and supporting profs. You're not, you're not there to be your own teacher. If you were, you would be the professor. The power dynamic in that classroom is such that the prof gives you whatever reign they give you. And, and we, I don't know about you, I was very lucky to have a good supervisor who essentially let me do whatever I wanted. But it's whatever I wanted within the context of the course. So if I had just started to talk about abortion every week, I think that Dr. Robert Wardoff would have had a problem with me. <laughs> but if I was talking about the history of birth control in Canada, which was an article that Elliot got him to, or I think actually that one was already on there, but there are several articles that Elliot, when he was the TA, advocated for around race in Canada that were really important to update that syllabus. And Elliot is so good at at picking sources that like students engaged and and have them see themselves in history, which is part of why like he was such a good mentor and, and friend to me too. And so essentially, um, there are articles in there about like slavery in Canada, in Upper Canada, Fua Cooper, like like just like people who are now like when Canadians are like, who do I read on racism? Like Elliot had put those names on because he had done the work. And so that was something that our prof got credit for that he did. And that again is that role of a TA, right? Like you never get credit for the labor. You just get like like it's like social capital, I guess, would be what I would call it. Yeah. And so you and I met because you were my union rep for communications to talk about stuff around Lindsay Shepard because we were both just fucking pissed at everyone and being like, how did Laurier let this become the story? Because it was very clear to us, knowing all the mechanisms at the university, that Lindsay Shepard was a scammer. Because that would have never happened to either of us because our profs would have never let that happen. Like, it's just so clear that she came in with that vendetta knowing and being smart enough to having seen that. Again, she went to school at the same university as Jonathan Van Maren, who I was talking about before. Both of them get undergraduate degrees from Simon Fraser University. And I don't know who's there now. But that connection goes back to the abortion caravan because the abortion caravan starts at Simon Fraser. That's where those women meet. And then they go and do that with the Vancouver Women's Caucus. And so essentially what I see happening and the shift changing is over the last 30 years, the neoliberalization of the university has created a space in which the only professors who get through and get tenure are centrists. And centrists, as we know, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, are dangerous and more dangerous than the right. And so that's why in terms of the type of work I've been doing for several years and, and where this conversation can end, I realized very quickly with my work at Western that the most dangerous people around me were other white women, both in my department and uh, on campus who were making excuses for Lifeline because they would always have someone to call. And, and they also just didn't understand because of the ways that liberal feminism in Canada has erased this movement 
they did not understand the kind of like working class solidarity connection. They just believed that their rights were secure because that's what liberalism, that's the myth we've been told. Abortion is legal. Canada is amazing. Tut tut America, you are bad. Going back to my degree, right? Like Canem relations. That's the, it's in opposition to the U.S. narrative that Canada constructs its cultural identity as we did this abortion thing and it was great. And so I grew up learning that while also in Kelowna seeing a fetus van being driven around and the stuff at Western happening where I'm being harassed by other students in a club on campus while I am trying to get my coffee and having my own students come to cry in me, to me in my office and saying, wait a second, I came to university, I thought this was over. And I said, Nope. I wish, and <laughs> I wish I could help you, uh, and let's figure out what we do about this. And so that's why Madeline, Karina, and I all started organizing tables where our whole goal was just providing resources to people for, to around sexual and reproductive health. So literally, if you have an unplanned pregnancy, or you have a friend who has an unplanned pregnancy, or you just want safe sex resources... We would have that table next to Lifeline because that was what the university let us do. The university would not allow us to not have the anti-choicers in the in the atrium. And that is how you and I met because I was telling everyone this as I was writing the Equity and Inclusion Office. And I talk about this in my Craig Needles interview, like all the things I'm doing while using my $105,000 scholarship to pay for some of this stuff food for students, supporting students, having events, and coordinating however I can with the knowledge that I don't care if I get credit. And then as we talk, um, haven't talked about yet, Lifeline essentially moves off campus, but under the mount, the, the um, like headline of the Canadian Centre for Bathical Reform and their interns, because again, there are three different groups working in London, but it's the same people under different names because the internet has created this space this way. And essentially, they start harassing London residents, and Katie Dean creates the Viewer Discretion Legislation Coalition alongside Natalie, because Katie Dean is someone, and I know you've talked to her on the podcast, who has had a later term uh, pregnancy termination because of fetal abnormalities with a pregnancy she wanted at London Hospital, and that was very traumatic for her. And so being given bloody fetus images all through 2021 triggered her and Katie has the privilege that I don't to be able to invest her time and money into this but I also know she has sacrificed a lot and is also very upset in terms of not seeing support from people who have more power and privilege because she just got that bylaw passed and yeah so basically as I said, kind of, and trying to allude to, London is ground zero for all these issues where it's people who are all working towards this shared goal of safe and healthy communities, stopping the alt-right, but we're all doing it in different ways, but we're all together. And that's really what the 1970 abortion caravan was about as well. These women did not agree uh, on everything. Karen Wells' book, the abortion caravan talks about this. It's 200 pages. If folks want a really great read that like gives you some context on how these things happen, but from like a public history perspective where like, it's just like a nice book. Karen's a great writer. Her documentary on CBC about this is my favorite documentary of all time on the Sunday edition. It's so great. And so learning about this stuff, that's my, that's my educate piece, right? And so like telling other people about it is, is part of kind of my role in this, but then 
hoping to inspire like that collaborative action where I find a lot of my friends get very frustrated with things, whether it's the party and the party being the NDP or the Green Party, whatever friggin' party you want to call your party, or other labor movement people, whatever it is, young people don't have a lot of patience. And I understand why, because I too feel this way about some of our older friends. But it is in fact our job to have that patience because we are about to lose all of this knowledge similar to when we were kids and they were like hey the veterans from world war one are dying it's really important you listen to them right now robin's here to say soon the veterans from the 60s and 70s civil rights movement are going to die and it's your one chance in your entire lifetime to work alongside them and your ego and the fact that maybe you don't like that they're not good at computers or don't listen to you or don't tell you where to go right away is not important. What's important is that you're there and that you're listening and that you're holding their hands through this because we owe them a whole heck of a lot. And the fact that we don't have that respect, I think often, especially, um, yeah, there's there's a lack of, it, it's very much, I have this conversation a lot with people like Sarah Rands and Bobby Stewart, who are basically NDP royalty in Southwestern Ontario. So volunteer managers who have never been paid to do this, but have been working. Sarah is Terrence Kernahan's Riding Association president, and Bobby is the Elections Planning Committee chair for Marjorie Knight. So white women who were friends with the folks in the 60s and 70s and have just kept going and are exhausted and have never gotten that credit, but continue to be some of my best allies when I have bad days, I call them. And sometimes we argue and sometimes they tell me I'm being stupid, but I need that from them. That's what they did for each other too. And so it's really like we need to figure out how to work together again because if we don't, we're all going to die. That's the difference. Like, like to be clear, uh, the difference between 1960 and now is we let um, all the gas and oil companies yeah. do terrible things to our planet. And that happened after these movements ended. We kind of like step, those women stepped back for a little bit. They had mental health breakdowns, like all these things. And we didn't listen to them and we let they let new women lead but those new women like Christa Freeland took those roles for themselves and closed the door behind themselves on women like me and and that's what Nora Leto looks at and take back the fight and so it's just really important that we actually do take back the fight but that we also are kind to each other as we do it because that's what Loretta Ross is calling for and all the feminists that I follow who are women of color with these high-level feminist theories that are saying hey this is what's happening. Bell hooks. Like, like these are theorists who have things to say and we all keep Instagram citing them, but we're not actually doing it. Like, like I know you like quoting them, but you need to do what they say. You can't just say what they do. Yeah. I think like part of it too is like learning, learning who, who you, who you can work with is part of the the piece too. Like, I think that a lot of like when you focused on centrist there uh, a ways back uh, and I let you talk because uh, I just enjoy hearing what you have to say, <laughs> but like there, there's a sense in which the centrists focus on debate and this idea of like, we need to go to the like far right people and somehow convince them that they're wrong. And to me, it's like, that's, that's the wasted angle because it's like, you're not going to convince those people as much as I would love. To, and you know what? 
people are malleable. We're not like essential things and they can be changed. It's just not as simple as like somehow you're going to debate them in the marketplace of ideas. The brain's going to flip and all of a sudden they're now like a leftist or a liberal. You know, that's that's never going to happen the way that people think that it's going to happen. And the best thing that we can do, the easiest thing we can do is making sure that the people who are already showing up don't get burned out and like continue to stay around because then you don't have to convince them about like the principles of like leftism you just have to be there for each other such that they're going to be there when the going gets tough and we can actually fight this beast whether it's climate change abortion regulations uh, going away and all this shit like those are the people we have to work with human rights all we're fighting for is human rights every single like loretta and that's again i really encourage folks loretta ross has a website she's doing another version of her calling in the call out culture course which includes actual conversation like practice and that's what's different because you're going to go to another talk and you're going to hear all this stuff and be like wow i love aoc aoc's line in knock down the house where she says we all have to keep trying because one of us is gonna get through makes me cry like i'm literally tearing up behind saying this like that's how emotional that piece makes me but i know that we could all criticize aoc right now i've been hearing that from friends i haven't been paying enough attention to it because to be honest i don't have fucking time for that bullshit anymore the fascists are here they're knocking on our door and i'm trying to stop the root the water from coming in i don't have time to talk about whether or not aoc did this one thing right i have time to fucking support aoc because she's in there fighting for me and i would rather her be in there than someone else and maybe eventually she's not the right person and at that point if we've organized well enough based on the model that she's taught us she will respect the fact that someone like me takes her out because that's what the left used to do and we stopped respecting each other in terms of like we all get to take turns every and you know what like judy rebick so judy rebick in her book heroes in my head which is my favorite memoir if folks are looking for a really great read to understand this period and someone's experience of it judy went to palestine in the 60s as a jewish woman like to israel when it was starting and literally was like holy shit, this is apartheid and so like she saw it and she came back and there's like recorded like like it's literally she has evidence that this all was hers so if you want to know the story of someone who you can model your life after she it's called heroes in my head she has significant mental health challenges like me and she's actually asked to step back from the morgenthaler stuff right before the victory because like me she's having significant mental health concerns and her sisters are like hey we can't have you melting off by accident we need you to pause and she does that and i know that that conversation was not great and was really hard to have but having that conversation matters because that's what got us the victory and so the fact that you would be a coward and not be willing to talk to your friend really honestly is what's wrong with our movement right now and loretta talks about this because loretta talks about how you can love someone while still being critical of them using her framework because she saw reproductive justice, she created this human rights framework, and then she said, wait, the way we're doing this is wrong, so now I need to give you a framework for doing this, and so please look her up. Uh, Jody. if you can put that in the show notes, I'm sure, like, she has her website, I know she wants everyone to sign up, and I want you to join me, I will be on this group again, because even though I've done the course, it, this is a lifelong process for me, and that space is the most healing place, because it is the only place I go 
where I feel like it is always productive no matter what I'm hearing and who I'm hearing from. So, yeah, so signing up for that course, I mean, like, but then I want I want to just, then, well, I want to, yeah. I want to end on just like one last thing, which is like, uh, I mean, obviously, like we've spent a lot of this on just the organizing, all that fun stuff. And I think this is the most important part. Like, yes, Roe v. Wade in the States is going to be gone. Uh, you know, we should be vigilant here for any like rollbacks that could come down the pipe. We have our own. Ac- well, no, well, that's what I was going to say. We have access issues already. All these things could be done right now. But then. Getting involved and learning how to organize, I think, is the most important piece of this that I think people aren't getting. But now that we've already said all that, what are specific organizations or things that are happening right now that people can sort of, like, get involved who might not, like, you know, other other than, like, say, people who, uh, uh, where there is no organization who should start doing it themselves and finding people to work with. Yeah. But, like... Well, so I'm going to say... There, as someone who made this mistake to begin with, there's always someone organizing in your community. They just might not be safe enough to be able to post it publicly on social media because we, as we know, social media is also a mirror to our lives and not a reality of what's actually happening in the conversations at our doors. So I would encourage folks to see social media that way. It is a tool for connection with other activists like me. It is not where activism happens. It is a performance, not an action. Second, If you live in Ontario right now, it is, you have several weeks. I can't remember what is, what's today? E minus 22 or something? I can't remember. Until election day? Is this what we're trying to figure out? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. June 3rd is election day? I can't remember. June 2nd is election (laughs) day, but I just can't remember what the E minus is because that's how organizers talk. And it's on the wall in Marjorie's office. I just have ADHD and don't remember if I saw 24 or 23 yesterday. But I think I've been too busy helping with the campaign that I can't even remember exactly. when the day is. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So we've got basically three weeks here, folks. If you are in Ontario, there are campaigns across this province right now who are looking for volunteers. And there are several things that they need people to do. So depending on your own personal circumstances, you can make a decision. But these are the tasks. You don't get to pick a different one. I'm about to tell you what the jobs are. The, there is no coming in and saying, well, I actually want to do this job because that's what most young people start doing. And that's the problem. You don't get to go write policy when you haven't done the door knocking. You have to work your way up. That's how it works. You have to show that you are trustworthy, that you can talk to people, that you can be respectful and kind at the door. Because sorry, when I was in apartment buildings last night talking, representing my candidate Marjorie Knight, and then we got kicked out for being too loud because lol, of course, we did. It was 8 p.m. though, which is fair. Like kids with people with kids want it to be quiet. And as we know from door knocking in apartments, if you're actually talking to people, it gets quite loud in the hallway. I didn't get to choose, oh, I don't want to go door knocking last night because I'm tired. Like, no, someone has to do that job. And I figured out that I'm really good at it because I have ADHD and I like talking to people and I like doing exercise outside sometimes. And so that's good for me unless I'm super sweaty. Um, So let's say you don't like being outside. You want to be at home. The NDP has made it so that you can make phone calls for any candidate in Ontario from your house if you have either a laptop or an iPad or a cell phone. So there are no excuses, even if you don't like calling people. I fucking hate talking on the phone, but Jody knows this. I had the record in London last time of making the fo- most phone calls and talking to the most white women 
about why you needed to vote for Terrence Kernahan and not Kate Graham, because that was a really important thing that I needed to do to help my community, because I happen to be the best at convincing middle-class white women why they suck. Not actually, but just like <laughs> I can convince them as to why they need to do something other than like protect their own interests. And I can have an honest and caring conversation with them. So you need to figure out what your area of expertise is. I suck at being fast at gathering data. I'm really good at converting people, having those deep conversations. In case you can't tell, I'm really smart at listening and then being like, hey, okay, you're interested in rent control. Let's talk about the policy. Whereas someone else needs to be there with me writing down numbers. And that's what I had someone else with me there doing last night. So that's a task. We need people to enter data. So your office might need you to put data in after I come back. And we also just have various administrative tasks around the office, including but not limited to cleaning toilets, shoving envelopes together, putting uh, pieces of literature in, um, what's it called, stacks so that someone like me can take them out. Someone has to do that work. And uh, to give a shout out to you, Jody, someone has to put up all the signs around <laughs> town. And that's actually quite a physical job that's very hard and actually requires some expertise, i.e. if you can become the best sign person, you never have to talk to anyone, unlike me at the door. I'm literally like having awkward, weird conversations with people in their underwear sometimes. It's not my favorite, but as you can tell, that's my kind of like mask that I put on with ADHD. Hello, I'm Happy Robin, and we're going to elect things. Signs will give you hand calluses, though, if you go out. <laughs> but these are but basically, we are not debating the platform right now, guys. The platform is already there. If you're interested in getting a better platform, you need to then join the party and sign up for a membership after that and join a riding association and like actually work to build that riding association and deal with the central staff who are really annoying and classes sometimes and I find them insufferable sometimes too. I agree, it sucks, but you know what? That's my job in terms of making this change happen. But then- in the, I, I just wanna add one thing. I just wanna yeah. add one thing to that, which is something that we've said on the podcast uh, several times, but it's worth reiterating that it's like, the elect electoral parties are made up of a bunch of people. And so it's like, you're not going to, the, the platform isn't going to be perfectly curated for your desires. Ever. And here's the thing is, do I like the current platform? There's things I like, things I don't like. But here's the thing is like, yes, you're not going to get perfection out of electoralism. So it's like, as Ever. we always say, it's one thing. You know what? Assess assess your needs. I still encourage people just like you're doing to get involved with the campaign. But if like, you know, not everything needs to be done within the campaign either. So like if you get no. frustrated, find other ways to organize outside yeah. of electoralism. But the least you could do is vote as well. Like it's, <laughs> that's the well, least you could do. Even like, so here's a really great way if I was talking to you as my ADHD coach. So I'll put that hat on now. I would say, hey, Robin, here's a boundary you could set so that you can still feel good that you helped out, but you're not going to get caught in all of that frustration that sometimes upsets you about the NDP. Pick a certain number of shifts you want to do volunteering and do that. That is your contribution. If you don't, if you have the money, donate $20 to three candidates. My recommendations would be Erica Lougheed, Marjorie Knight, and then pick your local candidate or someone else that you're passionate about specifically. But those are the two races that Robin is watching in terms of people I need to see in Queens Park alongside Andrea if I want the changes to happen to the party that I need to happen in order to get 
my ultimate goal, which is electoral reform, because I believe that a lot of the issues we're having, as I continue to go back to, are results of the toxic, patriarchal, and colonial election system that we are still stuck with, and Canada is way behind other parts of the world, Scotland, New Zealand, in terms of updating that system and saying down with the monarchy. But that makes sense if you're a Canadian historian and understand that we are always the last ones to do that type of thing because we're extra cunty and British and that was literally our identity in the 1910s and why we as a country contributed per capita more deaths than the rest of the Western world in terms of helping Britain fight their lost war in the in the First World War. So the trenches, all of that, like that. This Canada is officially an anti-monarchy podcast. So we're. I know, obviously. <laughs> so th so that's important, and that's I. Any time that there is an election happening at the provincial level, especially, I personally am very frustrated federally, and I don't see like so. If you look at Canadian history. The provinces are where change starts. Tommy Douglas had to prove that you could do it in Saskatchewan first before it could go federal. And so I have long believed that in order for us to get electoral reform, a province would have to pass it. And I am so mad at John Horgan and my home province because the way that that was done and the vote was so convoluted and none of my family understood it. And again, I was literally calling family members being like, hey, you need to vote for this. Hey, you need to vote for this from Ontario, having no connection with the BC NDP ever. Like I didn't do anything for them in Kelowna. I was too busy getting my degree, as I told you earlier. And also there was no BC NDP in Kelowna because we're the land of Stockwell Day. I was friends with liberals and conservatives. I was friends with Tim Krupa, who then went on to work in Justin Trudeau's office and then went on to do a master's here. Like, like the people in Kelowna who are nice are liberals. And that's, again, why I'm so good at this, because there is no right left wing in Kelowna. There never really has been. It's been like one person. And I am that one person. And I'm really thankful to no longer be in that community so that I can be my beautiful queer activist self, because I would have never become that if I didn't move here. And that's why... Um, again, the geographic locations, rural, urban, like all these things matter. But then, and this is a very exciting thing. Jody, I have I have a really exciting thing to share with you. So I've been thinking since I did that abortion caravan project about how to share this knowledge because I went to university for 10 years and I didn't learn any of this in the classroom. I learned it in the streets with you. And I learned it in the streets with working with my students as colleagues who then taught me how to use things like Canva, which I had never heard of, but is now like the thing I use for all my graphic design. And so I know from listening to the feminist movement and from being a feminist historian, and, and that's when I use feminism, I mean intersectional organizing to create better a better world in which we center patriarchy as the major form of oppression. But that doesn't mean that we aren't working alongside the queer liberation movements, like all these movements worked together in the 60s and 70s. And we stopped talking and we stopped working together. That's what Sandy and Nora talk about all the time on their podcast. And so I think we need somewhere safe. And I think we need somewhere where we can work together. And so you and I have talked about this privately, but I am proud and honored and thrilled uh, to announce on this show first. And I, and I say that like very nichely. I know you have many <laughs> listeners, but like how many of them are actually going to come to this? I don't know. We'll see. Come up to me at the thing. Like genuinely, if you come to this in the in the summer or in September when it happens, please tell me that you heard about it on this podcast because that's this is a test. Um <laughs> 
But anyways, I have been waiting for June 3rd to announce this because I this Ontario election is so important to me. And after that, I will be taking some time away from provincial electoralism. But as you know, there's a municipal election coming up th this fall. And, and I believe that we need to be organizing at all levels and that everyone's organizing is equal. And that one of the mistakes that we made in 2018 when we elected Terrence Kernahan was not having a plan for the fall because we were just so happy we had won ever because that was a liberal seat that belonged to Dem Matthews for years that we didn't organize properly. And then September came and we didn't have enough candidates that were on, on our side. And as you know, Lennon's had this centrist city council led by Ed Holder as a result. And that's our bad. We did that. That's I, I blame us for not having worked hard enough over those months, but we didn't know what to do because Terrence was literally just setting up his office. Like, like we didn't have the resources yet, but we do now. And we also are a little older. We're, we're, we're AOC on her re-election. We're not AOC when she first runs. We're, we've learned stuff. We're Bernie Sanders four years later. And four years after electing Terrence Kernahan, I am proud to announce the Uncampaign School. Uh, if you want to check it out, you can go to uncampaign.org. And we are going to be running this. Uh, I'm gonna be putting together a full organizing committee and by that, I mean, I've already started talking to people. I just haven't sent out the email because I've been a little busy uh, trying to elect Marjorie Knight as my MPP. Um, for folks who don't know, Marjorie is a black woman who is a grandma who emigrated here from Jamaica and went from homeless to working in the family um, outreach system. She is everything you want in a candidate. And working on her campaign is the honor of my life. And I know that because I'm a historian and this will be the best thing I ever do for Cambridge. And I, I know um, it just as, you know... Uh philosophy drop <laughs> master of philosophy no but it's uh yeah marjorie's awesome like uh we it's need we need more people like her in there uh, i'll just say She's that and you gotta go bush of Canada. that's what i'll say if po folks know cory bush who lost and then won she marjorie lost in 2018 and was one of the seats that could have stopped a for government for us if we had come together but more importantly our current um, MPP is Belinda from. I know she <laughs> she'll replace the new blue person. So let's, let's so go. it's like extra important. Not only are we electing a black woman who makes about fifty thousand a year and lives in a two bedroom public apartment because that's all she can afford, we are and giving her a raise, the raise of her lifetime. We are literally electing someone whose primary job is outreach to people in poverty and making their lives better. And so. It is not the same as electing another black woman. She is one of us and she is literally fighting and has had medical issues these last couple of years. Like the whole community is rallying around her, myself included. I am volunteering as much as I can this month, but then I'm launching the school and I'm launching it. And it's uh, around, I've, I moved to Ontario 10 years ago, guys. I got everything in my Sunfire and I drove across this country, just like my sisters in the abortion caravan. And when you go on the Uncampaign School website, which again is uncampaign.org, I believe, let's double check. I don't want to give people the wrong address. Uh, uncampaignschool.org. Oh my goodness. Okay, please make sure this is in the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> um, you'll see the logo I created has the um, Volkswagen Beagle from the um, abortion caravan in it. And that is a throwback to the fact that the women of the abortion caravan had a 12-hour meeting when they got to Toronto because Toronto feminists are a little sassy and hard to work with. And they weren't listening enough. 
and didn't agree with everything that the women had already planned on their way over because Toronto, even in, the in 1970, thought it was the center of the world, and it is not. Having our power from the organizers in Toronto, because I also think that that's a part of the problem, is Toronto likes to lead, and frankly, uh, I don't think that they should be leading anymore. I think that there are certain people in Toronto who are great, Someone like Paul Taylor, for example. I really love his work with Food Share Toronto and the NDP. But yeah, there's a lot of uh, NDP staff who are political science types who need to get out of the classroom and into the community. And so that's what this is. I am calling on you to join me in September. There is a mail list sign up. So you can sign up today so that you will get an email when we are ready to launch. We will be picking a date based on what the organizing committee chooses in terms of accessibility for folks. Um, it will be accessible, so I will be making, like, we are starting with accessibility. So when I say I don't know what this is going to look like, I mean that sincerely. Um, I want to make sure that this is the best event that we all deserve to actually come together and have some of these conversations. And, and people like you, say, for example, doing a session on how to do podcasting and, like, what does that role look like in our movement? Like, I don't know the organizing committee together of which um, Jody is going to be on and, and several of my other friends that I've sort of collected over the last four years who are folks who don't get the microphone at big events. And that's, to be clear, the idea of the Uncampaigned School coming from that Loretta Ross um, place of, of calling in the call-out culture. Um, you'll see that I posted a video of her talking about that on that site. But the big thing I'm trying to do is make it so um, I create a space that I wish Ontario NDP, NDP convention was, because it's not. Ontario NDP convention is a giant fundraiser for them. And that's okay, but we need to stop expecting it to be something else. And so we don't have to go anymore. Or we can, we can go with our specific purpose of passing certain things. But we need a plan that is not just us all taking our microphone uh, you know my joke, often at convention, you get three strikes and you're out. If you talk more than three times, you shouldn't get to talk for the rest of the weekend. And that requires us having a space like Uncampaign School where we can come together. Uh, I don't know yet if it's going to be every year, every other year. The, the organizing committee needs to figure this out and we will be electing co-chairs and I will be putting my name forward as one of the first ones. So this is going to be very democratic and we are following... Uh, Judy Rebick's Transforming Power book, which again, all is work I will have time to do after June 2nd, once Marjorie Knight is my MPP. And so if it's like, well, it doesn't sound like Robin knows what she's doing yet. I don't. I really don't. Because like the women of the abortion caravan, uh, who literally planned their action in like three weeks, I know that it is possible if we work together and talk to our friends to make magic happen in this country. And that the problem is that we prioritized our egos and our matriarchs have become our patriarchs, and it's not okay. White women are the people who have bullied me in my life, and the people who are standing by me and supporting me, whether it's Elliot, whether it's you, whether it's Terrence, because Terrence Kernahan was the only person in Lennon or Center. It wasn't Tanya Park who was running against him. It wasn't Kate Graham. It wasn't any of the women in politics people who stood with us at Western when we were fighting the fascists when we were fighting the anti-choice extremists. I was told by those women I was being too much. Terrence was also the only one who came out for our, our union stuff as well when we were uh, almost right? going on strike. Yeah. So you need to watch not what's going on in social media. You need to look at this like a historian. 
like me and think about who is showing up in certain places and then there are conversations happening with, between those people that are not happening online and i can promise you that because we're not stupid enough to do that online because we're worried the centrists will co-opt our ideas again because that's what they've been doing since hillary clinton said i'm a woman blah 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 folks need to understand that reproductive justice was a response to hillary clinton's health care plan she proposed before the International Conference on Population and Development, which the United Nations was having in 1994 in Cairo, Egypt, and women of color said, what the fuck? And then they created their own movement because they knew that this was happening and that Roe was going to fall if no one stopped it and that people weren't helping women of color in the southern U.S. who were dying. If you look at maternal like maternal mortality rates, Black women die at a higher rate. Hispanic women, like newcomers, like look at what happened with Trump's with kids in cages. What is still happening with Joe Biden? Kids in cages. This is all, Joe Biden won't say the word abortion. He said it once and Robin Marty and Renee Bracey Sherman, who I've been talking about, who are the founders of Shout Your Abortion and the new, the post row abortion book guide, like, all of these are things that people are doing. And so I find that, especially in Canada, and I want to end with this thought, because I want to talk about how much I hate Margaret Atwood. Can we do that as an ending thought? <laughs> Don't for it. I will, I'll just say, I think I think what I'm going to do, because this has gone long, but I'm loving it, is uh, I might release this as a bonus episode, uh, just the whole thing. Uh, yeah, 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 do it, Rather man. than addendum on the other things. So we'll do that. Uh yeah, do but that. Do, do and tell then me about it down however you need to. Because I trust you. I trust again, this is what folks need to understand is you need to get people like Jody in your life that you trust that even if Jody edits something out that I'm like, oh my God, I think that's more important. Jody and I agree on 90% of everything. It doesn't matter what I think Jody edits out or doesn't. What matters is that we're having these conversations and sharing things together and that's what the young campaign school is going to be all about and that's why no sitting politician will be given a speaking time uh we may have municipal leaders uh leading workshops in terms of discussion groups as facilitators and that means they will be given specific instructions to lead discussions in a nonpartisan way and i will make sure that they are all folks that i trust to not put themselves ahead of the goal edited them myself so um but basically yeah margaret atwood so all this handmaiden talk back when sam oosterhoff said abortion blah 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 lifetime ending during the mark the first toronto march for life which was the anti-abortion movement trying to bring this action they did in ottawa for years to toronto which was a new thing for them when he said that and white women across the internet freaked out on facebook and started all the handmaids locales across ontario and started to protest him as handmaids i should say just for anyone who's not ontario sam oosterhoff is the mpp for the niagara region i believe so or at least near the niagara region so in case you're wondering who this person is he's a pro-lifer who's also a member of our provincial parliament uh hopefully a single term but we'll we'll see after this uh election yeah, hopefully. Uh, well, no, two terms, because he was elected in a by-election. Oh, okay. True. So that's that's the key piece here for folks, is I saw this man being elected in a by-election and was like, excuse me? Because that's what led to the Tea Party movement and Trump. And so, again, 
all of these things are connected. They were trying to do what they did with the Tea Party movement and Trump in Canada, but 10 years later. Okay, Margaret Atwood, queen of white lady feminism and like middle class not knowing anything and literally co-opting a movement for herself. I'm going to tell people about my second year Canadian literature class in which Lisa Greckel, queen of the Ukrainian diaspora literature in Canada and my favorite, one of two favorite professors of mine in my undergrad, taught me that Margaret Atwood wrote a book in 1972 called Survival that was condemned by most of the non-white, non-Northrop Fry Margaret Atwood Canadian lit community as being white and centrist because she argues that Canadian literature can be summarized by one metaphor, barely hanging on, surviving the wilderness, and that the U.S.'s literature can be defined by a similar metaphor, the frontier. And Indigenous writers literally were like, excuse you, absolutely not. But that got erased by the white liberal establishment who were friends with Atwood, and then she published things like The Handmaiden's Tale and all of these things. And she got a movie and she became the woman that I'm my mother, to give her a shout out, hates being told that she has to like because she's a Canadian white woman. And as I told my mom on Mother's Day, when I was tweeting out against Margaret Atwood for her stupid article on calling this Roe versus Wade stuff slavery, which it is not, and reproductive justice organizers have called her on her bullshit and whiteness for years around this. We do not have to support this woman anymore just because she's the only <laughs> one who said anything. And what I want to say to the white women of Canada, particularly privileged middle class white women like me, who grew up thinking that this was all okay. When Sam Oosterhoff said that in 2019, you started all these Facebook groups and you started to dress up as handmaidens. And people like me said, hey, that's a little racist. And you said, but that's, this is my fun thing. And I said, okay, whoa. And I let that go because of the, again, we agree on 90% of things. And I had all these friends in the that movement who were new to the movement, who were excited to get involved in 2019 because of Oosterhoff, who were following him around dressed up as handmaidens. And I was over here feeling uncomfortable being like, ah, please read anything before you get to work. And why aren't you talking to me? Katie Dean is the opposite. That's why the Viewer Discretion Legislation Coalition has been so successful. She started doing stuff like that, and then she learned, and she listened, and she's changed her tactics, because that's what you have to do, guys. Hello. And so please don't be a Margaret Atwood. Please don't say the same thing for however many years, and when white women like me call you on your bullshit, whether it's 1972 or 19, uh, whatever, like Lisa Greckel was white and she knew this stuff because she was a good ally in the Canadian literary community. But Lisa's not the voice we're getting. It's all the Margaret Atwood stands. So what the heck? That is the liberal establishment erasing that work. And so what I'm asking you to do is stop just going to the thing that you were told and do your own research on what's happening and who's been saying what before you start your own handmaiden club next time. Please, 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 please. Because Canadians did that in 2012 in opposition to Stephen Woodward, who I believe was your MP at the time, Jody, because you were living in Kitchener Center uh, doing your master's and, and undergraduate stuff. So that was 2012. 
who put forward a fetal rights bill in the Stephen Harper government. We had a handmaiden movement at that time in Ottawa. So stop reinventing the wheel. And I would say, as someone who was friends with those people who did that, because those are feminists who are five to ten years older than me in this work, that is a fight I have been having with those women for several years. For several years, I have been calling those women on their whiteness, whether it's the Abortion Co Rights Coalition of Canada. For folks who are interested, check out the interview I did on Real Talk with Ryan Jepson last week, where I do this publicly to Action Canada for Sexual Rights and to the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada. Because again, I don't see us all working together towards a shared goal. But I do see Margaret Atwood advancing the same narrative towards her shared goal, which is her being in charge and white women's supremacy over others. And that continues and is everywhere. And so I am calling on white women like me to suck it up and stop being in charge and stop just picking the first black woman who's nice to you for whatever position and actually listen to people like Marjorie Knight who are doing the work and are often seen as too aggressive. If you hear that, you should hear ableism and white supremacy and you should know that that person's probably right or they're just having a really hard time and need some friends to help organize with and you should go help them. And I think that's a good note to end on. Yeah, I, I just wanted like an analogy to like things yeah. in like our sphere is uh, there was a thing recently with the whole like trucker convoy where you had these kind of like liberal people who also hate fascism. So like kudos on that front. But like we're, we're kind of like taking the reins as these kind of like Internet celebrities or like. Right. Yeah. And so they would do things like there was this thing uh, like a hashtag called Ram Ranch Resistance. And Ram Ranch was this audio that like was a bunch about a bunch of gay people having some sex on a Ram Ranch, okay? And people would play this over top of when the truckers were trying to communicate with each other, because it would be funny to interrupt their bigotry with just a bunch of dudes wanting to have some gay fun, which like cool. But the thing is, like that started to take on at least with some of these like liberal. Uh, like uh, celebrity types, really homophobic tendencies. And then when they were called out on it, they like reacted in such a visceral, like how how dare you, we're trying to help, blah, 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 rather than just realizing like that's not the appropriate way of combating this thing. You're just feeding into like some bullshit and you're like hurting your own cause all because you, ha you, you want this like pretend clout being like some internet celebrity with all your liberal friends where it's like, I don't know, it's not... It gets to a point where it's like, it's not a joke. This isn't like our fun time to like, like it can be fun, it's but the not. fun is in like having a party with your colleagues, you know? It's yes. not about like the fun social is media cloud. I get to have this conversation and I can be sitting here having a good time and laughing with you about the absolute despair that I feel all the rest of the time because no one's listening to me. And I think that that actually is a really good place to end as well, where I have had problems you know this, with multiple leaders in our movement with what I would classify as basically gatekeepers within abortion organizations in Canada who have seen me as too aggressive when I call them out on their crap because I have ADHD and that's ableism. And I, I know, again, if you watch that interview with Ryan Jefferson, and, I, and you're not supposed to say these things publicly, but again, that's the problem, guys. That's called white civility, and that's the Canadian identity that's killing us. Not saying what's happening is killing us. 
And so, for example, I am not close with the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada's um, executive director, Joyce Arthur, because I used to be her vice president, and you know this, I resigned after the abortion caravan project because I was like, you are actually exploiting people like me and I'm very upset and you are one of the white women I see as the problem where you need to step back and let someone else like me lead. And so again, if we center ourselves rather than our communities when these conflicts happen, there are multiple people who might hear this and, and this is a part I hope you'll keep in Jody, who owe me apologies in our movement and I'm waiting. And they know they owe me apologies. But the fact that they think that I'm just over here, I'm being viewed as the problem. I'm shit-talking them. And I'm not. I'm saying you caused harm to me and you need to fix it. And it is very easy to fix it if you do the things you say you want to do. But you are a coward and you are not willing to cede your own power because someone who is smarter than you, as my favorite six-year-old Edith says, someone who is a bully is jealous of your brain. I am incredibly smart, as folks have heard from this call, and I have been told by white women my whole life to sit down and shut up. And like my friends, the chicks, I'm not ready to play nice. I'm not ready to back down. And I will not allow one dumb thing I said off of the side of my desk where, that upset some civilized white lady who is important because she thinks she is, or they think they are, or he thinks they are. And, and the folks listening will know who, if they listen to this episode, they will know exactly who I'm talking about because my friends know because I tell them all the time. And I can tell based on my friends' responses how ableist they are at this point. That's how good I am at this. I can tell based on your class and identity when I say these things to you, whether or not you're a true ally. But you know what? Instead of calling those friends on their bullshit, I'm calling them in and gently trying to get them to understand why that behavior is harmful. Instead of telling them I'm not being their friends anymore. But it's people with positions of power over me who are exploiting me and my ideas and my labor and then not standing in solidarity with someone like me when this shit happens and then getting money because they have the leadership position and people donate to them. And I'm doing this unpaid that are also the problem. And that's centrism. And I know because of the systems that I don't blame those individuals. I genuinely, like Loretta Ross, if they came to me and said, hey, Robin, I want to have a chat about this, I'd say, let's do it because it's long time coming and I've been waiting for you. But that requires them to take that action first. And until then, I'm not going to start calling them on their bullshit because that's what my sisters in the abortion caravan talk, taught me. They called my hero, Grace McGinnis, who was the only MP and the only woman in the House of Commons in 1968 elected, they called her on crap. They said, you're a city MPP, or you're a sitting MP in the, in the, not in the government, you're an NDP member, but you need to do more. You're the daughter of J.S. Woodsworth, the founder of the Canadian Commonwealth Federation. You have power. And she said, well, I'm doing my best. And that was an argument that happened that didn't mean we didn't stop working together. Fights happen. Humans argue. We have to work together or we are going to die in the climate crisis. That is what I am saying. I am a historian of political and social change from 1945 to present, and I'm really scared of what's coming. 
And that's your episode, Jody. There you go. There you I go. don't know if you have something else you want to ask, but that's what I think. No, I've I mean, got that. nothing else to ask. I would say what what you've said reminds me of a book uh, by Barbara Ehrenreich uh, called Bright Sided, which is has a very yeah. similar uh, message to it, uh, where like the, the the desire to, I mean, there's there's toxic ways to fight, but then there's also just like some critical analysis is not a fight and people take it way too personally and like it sort of like inculcates this kind of like positive thinking mindset within organizations which are toxic exactly it's toxic positivity and that's the shit in the nonprofit sector and honestly like i think that that so like as a historian who taught the first world war for four years at western and tested students on it in an exam setting there are specific things that like when i say these things folks will know so like imperialism militarism uh the assassination of franz ferdinand like these are if you are a history nerd you know these terms because they're just like things that we all agreed yeah. were fundamental building blocks of that period and i believe that one of the fundamental building blocks of the 2010s if we get there again, climate crisis, guys, hi, it's not the same as 50 years ago. And we've, we've created a crisis for human suffering. Um, like Wally is a, is a parable. We yeah. need to be careful. <laughs> it is. Uh, I it really Wally. is. Yeah, I know. It's such a good movie. Um, but, uh, basically I would say that, um, it's very important that we understand how to have arguments and that's what loretta is trying to teach as well and that we also have humility enough to apologize to people when we make mistakes but to understand our power relation in those places so authentic leadership within the nonprofit sector which again is where toxic positivity really is like thriving right now and and just across the board where leaders are saying thanks guys you did a great job keep going instead of you know doing systemic change to our healthcare leaders to our teachers it's like hey hang in there kids you're doing great high five rather than your son getting the support that he needs for the classroom given the fact that we've lived through this transformational thing and maybe shouldn't be teaching stuff the same way as we did before we all learned this stuff together i thought in 2020 and all those lessons seem to be erased by toxic positivity which is very similar to what happened during the first world war when one of the concepts we talk about is lions led by donkeys i.e the working class were lions who were led to their death by donkeys who were lords and important people in england who had never been to the front lines and were making life and death decisions for people and so depending on where you have been in the last couple of years and what your life has looked like if your life has not looked like mine I need you to understand that it doesn't matter what your identity is. We have not had the same lived experience and things you have said to me have been toxically positive, even if we're friends. Because if you own a house, you have probably said subtly ableist things to me while I was having manic behavior related to my ADHD. And I need you to stop. And next time I need you to just give me a hug. Thanks. Sounds good. It's not hard, right? Like, like you and I argue all the time. It's literally why we're friends. It and like I joke about that with you and John Luke. It's like <laughs> I learned to do this on game FAQs. I was the nerd who was fighting the Final Fantasy VII people for Zelda in two thousand and five. Like these are what like, you were pro argue. Zelda over Final Fantasy VII. Uh, get me, out I, of here! <laughs> get out of here! Oh my God! So no, absolutely. All right, not. we can't go. We can't do this. We can't. <laughs> this podcast is over. Okay, this is, 
I have, like, no, absolutely not. Like, as in, I won all those battles on game FAQs. You're wrong. We would always outvote you because Zelda fans are way better. And I hope John Luke Listen, gets here. Cloud, Cloud, you're missing the spiky hair factor. I don't know. <laughs> so John Luke and I... Listen, we, we're going to have to end the podcast. We're get, If anyone wants to hear the, the Zelda Final Fantasy VII uh, debate, maybe we'll we'll have a stream for it. Hit me up. Oh, my God. We but, should. <laughs> can we maybe we'll can see. We, <laughs> no, like, actually, like, if we rate, can we do, like, a raise money and do that debate? Because it is my dream. I've been joking for years that if I had a Netflix show, it would be called Flare Wars, and it would be the same as Shad's Hip Hop Evolution, but it would be me telling the stories of early gaming culture <laughs> by interviewing folks and being like, so, Nerd75, do you remember when you said this thing to se- to uh, Halo Master 37 about Zelda and Final Fantasy VII and the fight between Link and Sephiroth here? And we would talk about Ganon versus... Like, it would See, just be like- then this is, instead of doing a, a reproductive health podcast, what you got to do is this podcast, right? We got... <laughs> Anyways. There we go. I want to say, uh, Robin, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, The whole thing, we're going to post it as a bonus episode. Uh, I I hope people take away from this to to get involved and to be nice with the people around you uh, while also, uh, you know, you can learn how to be better at giving the criticism and also be better at receiving the criticism. So I think... I think that's that's the message today. Organize, uh, educate, and agi- agitate, right? <laughs> come to uncampaignschool.org. Sign up for our mailing list. I promise you I won't sell your information to anyone. I'm really just trying to get a list of folks together who are interested in doing this work. And Some lists are important. Uh, Southwestern Ontario first, because that's where we start. We start at home, but um, after we build this, I'm hoping to share it across Canada because that's what my sisters did. And that's what we need to do. We need to start local and then think national. Otherwise, like, as I said, oh my God, the federal political scene right now, that's a whole other show. And this is how we start it, right? Like we got to start provincial and then we're going to have to work our way up, but we have to get this first or else we're going to die. So, <laughs> so Robin, where can people find you on Twitter? I know you said your Twitter already on the, the show, yeah, but why not close at it R O B Y N S C H. And then if you go to informedopinions.org, I also have a page there. Uncampaignschool.org is my current personal website, but I soon will have a personal website because I have someone hopefully helping me build it in the near future, um, which is part of why I've been just so busy and doing all these things because I haven't had time to focus on my own branding. I've been too busy making other people look good. So, uh, and I hope that all of us can say that eventually. So thank you. And uh, thanks for listening. Uh, And we will see you. Thanks, guys. This is so nice. Jody, you know I always love talking to you, and uh, I'll see you soon um, in the community. You know that. Always. So have a good one. See you later. Hey, bye. Albumbia, Albumbia, how lovely are your wheat fields.